welcome to Out of Game episode 12. In today's episode, we discuss gamer addictions, bang the dice game, and the infectious nerd pack theory. This is your host Ryan. Join me and Chris as we go out of game. Welcome to episode 12 of Out of Game. What are we going to talk about, Chris? So I can't find it. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about the infectious nerd pack theory. You're probably wondering what that is. <laughs> You'll find out at the end of the episode. But it is a theory about infectious nerd packs that we're going to talk about. Let's, uh, you know, let's just jump right into the spawn point. The spawn point. Yeah. The brand new segment name. Thank you again, Bonnie, for the name of the spawn point. So I don't have a lot for the spawn point this time, except I want to talk about a show I discovered on Netflix. Okay. So if you have, if you have a Netflix streaming account, you've probably noticed sometimes they make suggestions to you. Do you have a Netflix streaming account? No. Okay. So if you go in there, they'll make suggest, suggestions. I don't know why that word is so hard for me. Based on your the shows that you've watched. So this show popped up on there called The Quest. Have you heard of The Quest? I have not. So this show is apparently on ABC. So I thought maybe you had heard of it. I don't have cable. So it's not a Netflix original. It's a, no. It's an ex-ABC show or yeah. current ABC show. So this show was great. Uh, you, you've got to watch the show if you haven't seen it. Is it. Wait, are they still making new episodes? So the first, the entire first season is over. So The Quest is a reality show where they take people who like fantasy and they created an entire fantasy world for them. And so what's happening on this show is they're competing as, you know, just like any other reality show to be the, the, um, the one true hero. But instead of it just being like straight up competition, eliminate someone competition, there's a story. Everyone that they're interacting with is an actor and they're playing out a giant story throughout the entire length of the series. So they have like characters they're interacting with. There's a guy named, uh, um, Lord Ansgar, I think is what his name was, but he was like training them to fight with swords, to do archery, to ride horseback. And then they would like do an archery challenge. And then whoever lost the archery challenge, you have to go meet the fates. The fates are like these three oracles kind of, and they would put, they would put the bottom three people that from this challenge through this, through another challenge, you know, where they compete and whoever the, the last two are, then the other people go off and they vote one of them out essentially. Okay. But the, the, you have to – I'm not doing it justice how good the show is. The acting was really good. That was the first thing I was surprised about. When I saw this appear on the quest, I, like on Netflix, I thought I, I, thought I was going to watch like 30 seconds of it and turn it off. And I, I immediately got wrapped into the story. So the 10 people competing aren't actors. They, they're right. competing. Everyone else is an actor. And all the acting was done really well. And the people who produced the show were like – they worked on Lord of the Rings and some other like well-known movies and stuff. So it's not like some joke producers and the, the story was really good. It it was almost like a giant LARP. That was the best thing I could, Mm -hmm. the best way I could explain it. It was a giant LARP that went over multiple days and these people had to be dragged through the story and they interjected these challenges and stuff that fit in with the storyline. And then in the end, there was a one true hero that had to fight, has to fight the ultimate enemy in a final battle. It was great. So it, the most impressive thing to me about that story is that Netflix figured out that you're a nerd. 
and suggested that to you. That's fascinating that that, that came up. You okay. know, it probably wasn't that hard because almost everything I watch on there is either related to fantasy or reality shows for the most part. So they did a good job. So it's like a LARP reality show. I, it does sound interesting. I mean, if the acting is good and the some of the, some reality shows are pretty good because there's only so much scripted TV that you can take after a while. You know, at some point you've seen every cop show and hospital show, right? And you need something else. So I don't know. Maybe I'll check it out. You, you should. I'm highly recommending this to you. Even I would even watch this before you watch The Walking Dead. I think there's a chance you yeah, might like have, this more than The Walking Dead. I don't. I got rid of my Netflix account a while ago, but I use news hosting, so I can probably find it on there. Okay, I don't know what that is. Is that some illegal way to watch? It's, it's, watch movies? it's actually legal. If, if people want to look into it, go to just Google news hosting. It's a it's a Usenet group, so you have to pay. There's a monthly fee. Oh, okay, just like Netflix. But the difference is they don't live stream stuff. You can download it, which means you can keep it. So, like for example, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. So I don't stream Breaking Bad. I downloaded it and then watched it. I can pause it. And I can. Watch it again later. It's just an MPEG. Okay. So it's a little bit... I, I like that format better because I just put it on an external drive and plug it into my TV and watch it that way. But the Netflix, I got tired of the fact that they, they kept raising their prices and there were, there were a lot of shows and movies I wanted to watch that they didn't have. And so yeah. news hosting at them and news hosting is actually cheaper than Netflix. Interesting. So yeah. Anyway, sidebar. Well, this is a good sidebar, though. So anyway, The Quest. Everyone listening, go watch it. And actually, uh, I want to emphasize this more because I think they're on the fence about a season two. But since this launched on Netflix, there's been a ton of people watching it. Mm. And it's it's getting some momentum. And I actually got a favorited tweet from the winner. I'm not going to say who the winner was. But I, I... the winner of the quest? Yeah, I sent this person a tweet, and wow. they, they favorited my tweet and retweeted it. That's awesome. Not as cool as Shatner, but <laughs> it was still cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How about you, Chris? What's going on with you? So, my spawn point info. So, as you know, we gave away a copy of The Angry Angel in the last podcast. And I have some news here, and that is the sequel... The Angriest Angel is the name of the book, but it's also the name of the trilogy. It's a book. It's a trilogy of, obviously, three books. The Angriest Angel is out. It's available on Amazon.com, and you can go to angriestangel.com for more information. Uh, but the sequel, the second book in the trilogy, is called The Emancipation Pattern, and that is really close to being released. Really close. I'm okay. in the final editing phase. I've already had two people once over it, and I've got um, uh, one more round of of uh, I have special critics that I've set up to find grammatical errors because they have a meticulous eye. Two, two of these people are going to get copies probably this week, maybe by the weekend. And once they've blessed it or I've made the final edits, it'll be available. So the emancipation pattern, there's a, there's a lot of people that have been waiting for it okay. because the first book left off a little bit of a cliffhanger, which was kind of accidentally on purpose. <laughs> and um, I'm constantly being asked by friends and family, when, when's the next book coming out? When's the next book coming out? It is very soon. Definitely by the end of June, it'll, it'll be up and available. But I'm hoping even sooner than that. Awesome. You know, something, I just re- something that just occurred to me about you is you create very intriguing names for things. You used to do this in role-playing. Like you would name, you would name like a character, like this weird name, like the Chitin. 
Or I, I was thinking about the chitin, like on, on my when I was driving today. Was that actually the name of a monster, or did you make that up? I don't remember. I don't know if I can take credit for that one. That might have been in the book. Okay, I just I just remember there's you always have these mysterious names that you can't quite figure out what they mean, and I, and I think these two books both have names like that, which is made, what made me think of this. Yeah, the angriest angel. It's interesting because um, when we were playing Warlight, I noticed there was a guy with a screen name. Yeah, his his screen name was Angry Stangel. I was in that I, game. I, I said, "Whoa, whoa, that's the name." I didn't like it because maybe he had a book or uh, a TV show. I don't know something named after that. But he he was just a guy that was a fan of that name or or whatever. And we, so we had a nice chat. But um, yeah, the Angry Stangel is kind of a play on words a little bit because Angry is a negative word, Angel is a positive word. But it, it is a fitting name. In the sense that these are, there are people in there that are angel-like, mm-hmm. and they're becoming angry, and they don't know why. They're not supposed to be angry. They've conquered anger, but they're, st- they're starting to get angry. And the book, if anybody's listened to our podcast for a while, knows that I'm kind of a proponent of uh, ADHD awareness. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions with ADHD, and Ryan and I talk about it a lot on the podcast. And it's a heavy element. There's a heavy element of ADHD in the book. The protagonist, the main character, is loosely based off of me in the sense that he is struggling with ADHD and he kind of stumbles into being the the hero in the book and helping <laughs> helping these people out with their problems. So, uh, and then the emancipation pattern. Uh, I, that name isn't going to make any sense. Yeah, unless you've I almost read the like first it book. that I don't know. Yeah, but I but I'm just so our listeners know what genre is this book. That's a really good question. It's kind of like sci-fi for people who don't like sci-fi. If okay, that makes sense. So you don't have to like sci-fi. Like Firefly. It's a it's a little fireflyish where the science is actually in the background of the story. The story the story is the main component, or the, the the TV show Battlestar Galactica that was yeah on a few years ago. That's the show that made me like sci-fi, right? But it really wasn't. There wasn't a lot of heavy science. It was about people mostly, and mm-hmm. it was about their struggle. And this one, this story, does involve a little bit of science fiction in it, but it's it, it's in the background. Uh, next to what is ver- a very character-centric story of people that have come here from somewhere else and they end up having problems and they become quarantined here. And then the main character is a guy from Earth, just like any of us, who stumbles onto their story and ends up trying to help them. So it's a it's a very different premise and it's very interesting from the standpoint of you learn a little bit about ADHD. Okay. So I feel like a jerk. I need to read your book so that I can I know you've I know you've been busy, so <laughs> you didn't see the face Chris just made at me. <laughs> no, I have um I've got thousands of, of um reads on, on Wattpad already. I've got there's a lot of people that have been reading it and, and giving me good feedback. So it's okay. You know, I've it's tough with your friends and even family, so you don't want to pressure them into, hey, why haven't you read my book yet? Like Dave does. <laughs> yeah, but even Dave has, has read it. He, Dave gave up on asking me about his book. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, Sarah started it, and there's, there's some, some of the people from our group. Have read so speaking of Dave, we're, we're debating about bringing Dave onto the show for an episode. Yeah, as P- if people don't know, Dave is somebody who we like to pick on a little bit yeah. in the show. It's, he's kind of a... They almost have to know by now. Yeah. We pretty much rip on him every episode. Yeah. And the only reason we do that is because we know he doesn't listen. So when he finally does listen, he's going to realize we've been ripping on him for like over a year now. And you know, speaking of Dave, one of the main characters in The Angriest Angel is based off of Dave. You mentioned that last time. Yeah. Nathan is the name of the character, but he's based. He's Dave will tell me, oh, Nathan wouldn't do that in the scene. 
And then so what I'll do is I'll change the scene. It's like a consultant. Yeah, he he has veto power over scenes How that. Come I don't have a character in your book. I want to have veto power. Maybe in the in the last book, which by the way is called Pillars of Amorum. That's nice. the book three where everything gets wrapped up. You need you need one of these angels to get into board games. <laughs> well, I was going to introduce something like that, but a lot of the stuff I I write ends up getting edited out if it doesn't flow properly in the reread. But I won't get into that. Get shoehorn it in. Come on, man! I'm like your co-host. Maybe I'll have them listen to our podcast within the book. Well, that'll make they'll, they'll definitely of... find a way to leave if they do that. <laughs> well, if we if they do that, it could be good publicity for us. Man, maybe they could put the good word into Tom Vassell for us. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> you know somehow they have an in with Tom Vassell. All right. I think. Uh, w- was there anything else about uh, that's about point? it? All right. It's time for what? What are we doing next? Oh, we're doing Grill Ryan. All right, Chris, explain what Grill Ryan is. Grill Ryan is a segment we came up with a few podcasts ago. I don't remember which episode, four or five or so, where what we do is I will ask Ryan five questions. He has no idea what these questions are, and he's got to answer them without any any preparation. It's just off the top of his head. There's no audio editing going on, nothing special. <laughs> we'll see about that. He gets to... <laughs> He, he gets to answer these off the top of his head as best he can, and they're mostly gaming-related. There, there may be one or two in there that aren't, but for the most part, we like to get his perspective on games because, as we all know, any listeners of the show know that Ryan is really – he's the gaming expert. I'm just kind of the sidekick of the show, so we want to get his insight on some of this stuff. All right. You ready? I think so. Question one for Grill Ryan. All right, let's hear it. You've mentioned more on more than one occasion that you you have a problem with co-op games. True. So I'd like you. Th- this is kind of a softball question. I'd like you to explain what your problem is with co-op games. Okay, I'm glad you asked this actually. So here's my problem with co-op games, and I need to make a disclaimer here. I'm specifically talking about co-op games that don't have a trader, because I like the games that have traders in them, like Dead of Winter and Battlestar, kind of. <laughs> but Ghost Stories, for example, one of the best known, most well-known co-op games. I traded Ghost Stories away in the math trade this year. Did you really? Yeah. Ahmad, if you're listening, it felt good <laughs> to just hand it to someone, to get it out of my life forever. Yeah, Ahmad, for people who don't know, he's it's his favorite game. Yeah, Ghost so Ahmad, is, Ahmad is our uh, cooperative game proponent. Yes. So anyways, here's what I don't like about co-op games. Co-op games are supposed to bring people together. That's, that's the reason that cooperative games were created. Instead of competing against each other, you're working together for a common goal, and it's supposed to be like this thrilling moment of victory when you achieve that goal. But what I found has happened when I've played cooperative games is that people argue the entire game about what the best move is. So instead of it bringing us together, we're all annoyed with each other because on my turn, people are telling me what I should do. And I don't want to do that, but they're trying to convince me that I should. And we get in an argument about it. Doesn't that happen in the trader games too, though? It does, but, but I could be doing it because I'm a trader. So there's uh. a different, the difference is that we, me and the person I'm arguing with both think we have the right strategy. Whereas if I was a trader, I might just be doing something traitorous. But in this game, you really are trying to win. Everyone's working together. So I think I have the right move, and they think they have the right move. And we're arguing about it. And how is that bringing us together? Also, the, if there's a trader role, you have a more you have a more chance of being able to push back against the alpha gamer. 
Like they won't be as pushy because they know you have a secret goal possibly. And in, in the games like Ghost Stories, they know that you don't, so you have to listen to them. Right. So I just don't like cooperative games. I do have one. I still have Pandemic. I have Robinson Crusoe. Those games, Some I guess some, some of these cooperative games, they don't have as much op- move optimization, so they make... They have a little more randomness or luck, so I think those are a little better. The one saving grace for co-op games is that I like playing them solo. Co-op games are my favorite games to play solo because the game is designed to for be playing you against the game. I think I've mentioned this before. So some of my cooperative games, like Robinson Crusoe, I'll probably never get rid of because I've heard that game is really fun to play solo. But playing cooperative games with other people, not a fan because it doesn't bring you together. It makes you argue. Okay, good answer. Question two. This isn't that good of a question because there are multiple ways to answer it, but just in general, in a standard board game, what would you say are the optimal number of players in a game? Like, is there a sweet spot for six, four, five, three? Well, what's the, if you had your choice of the optimal number of players, what would it be? Well, some of the numbers you just mentioned are obviously going to be ruled out because they're odd numbers. It's not going to be three or five. Think about that. So, what, what's the problem with odd numbers again? Because they're not even. They're, there's. <laughs> oh, okay. The, you can't balance two odd numbers. It's like you have one, you have two balanced numbers, and there's this third annoying number hanging out there, and you don't know how to balance them together. They have to have equal distribution. Why doesn't this make sense to you? Like when you're listening to the volume on the radio, you should never put it on like 15 or 17. Why would you listen on 17? No, it's 16 or 18. Get it right. Wow. So three and five are automatically out. So four is the optimal number. That is, I can, I can, I'll stamp it in the concrete somewhere. Four is the optimal number for a game or two. (laughs) Six is too many. Five is an odd number. Four is perfect. Three is too few. Two is a good even number for some some games. One is kind of lame, too. Can't split one in half. It's four. OCD, anyone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. I wasn't expecting that answer, but okay. Question three. What game do you think you have the greatest skill? Like a, like a game that... If you, you could you could give tips on how to win or uh, strategy ideas or uh, maybe at origins if somebody were to come up to you and say you know I, I'm a big fan of your show uh, what are some tips you can give me and what what game would you suggest that I use them in Wow so I think last time you asked me a similar question uh, but I think it's going to have to be an older game I, I would have to say probably Puerto Rico. The game Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is a classic game. I think it's still like number four. And I and I think I've played Puerto Rico a lot more than other games because I played it a, a lot on my iPad. So I've kind of figured out two strategies to win the game. So if if someone's taking one strategy, I'll take the other. And I've never looked this up, but it, supposedly there's a there's a broken strategy online that everyone says if you do this strategy, you'll always win. And I think I probably figured it out, but I don't want to look it up because I think it will ruin the game. Mm-hmm. So I think Puerto Rico would be it. I, I think if if I was playing a game of Puerto Rico with strangers or or anyone, I think I would be able to help them with the strategy 
like if I was doing something and they thought I was winning, I could give them another strategy that could beat me hmm. and, and they would do well. Okay. Good answer. Question four. Okay. So you're shipwrecked on an island. You're stuck for months. You can only have two games with you. The question is, how long would it take you to hit Dave over the head with a coconut? <laughs> I need more information about the games because you didn't tell me that what the games were. So that, obviously that was a joke. The real question is which two games would you oh, Well, I, had a, I, I could give you an answer about Dave if I knew what games they were. Well, yeah. first choose the games. What games would you want? You're stuck on an island. So I'm stuck on an island with Dave? Well, Dave, but you have other people there too. Oh, well, how many people? Four? Fifteen. Fifteen? Yeah, two games. And some people aren't going to want to play, so... Um. Okay, the first thing I'd bring is a deck of cards. Is that allowed? Yeah, that's allowed. So just a deck of playing cards? Yeah, because you could play like a thousand games with playing cards. Okay. Is that cheating? No, but I don't know if I agree with that answer. Really? But if I had two, I would definitely bring a deck of playing cards as one. Because you could play Werewolf. You could play The Resistance. You could play One Night Werewolf. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you could use that. You could manipulate the deck of cards yeah. to play other board games. And you could design a game. You know, you're on a you're on a freaking island. Okay, that's a good answer. So, a deck of cards for one, and then what would the other one be? There's 15 people on the island with me. What other game would I want? <sighs> got to edit out the pause. No, there's no editing. No. <laughs> there's no editing. He's, he's got to think about it. So, imagine the Lost Island. Okay. So, every now and then, a column of smoke appears and snatches somebody. But other than that, there's nothing to do. And people are looking to you to supply the entertainment. You, Mr. Board Game, you rent a podcast. And in fact, you've been bragging about it on the plane ride. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I, I've got it. Okay. Although I probably wouldn't even want to take this game on an airplane because it would put me over the weight limit of my luggage. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'd probably choose Star Wars Imperial Assault. So, Star Wars Imperial <laughs> Assault is a game that came out, I think it was the end of last year. Yeah, it was the end of last year. And. It's it's a campaign game, and this is the reason I chose it because there's like ten to fifteen modules in the game, and it this is kind of like a role playing light board game. So there's a story with a bunch of modules in the game, and it can play a lot of people. One person is kind of like the game master, and they take they take everyone through the different scenarios, and your characters level up over time. And you go through the whole campaign book. But on top of that, this game specifically has another game in the box. So it's like two games in one box, which is a two-player skirmish game you can use the miniatures for. Because the game has awesome Star Wars miniatures of like Darth Vader and a, um, a, a che- Chewbacca. It's not Chewbacca. It's another one of the Chewbacca creatures. I can't remember what they're called. Wookiees. Wookiees, thank you. There's a Wookiee and some other miniatures, and you can do like a two-player skirmish game with it. So I'd probably choose that just because of the amount of re- replayability with That's it. That's an interesting answer. Okay. Good. But wouldn't want to bring in the luggage. Right. It's a huge that's game. That's the downside. Yep. In fact, that's probably why the plane crashed to begin with. It probably was. Okay, last question. This is not gaming related. Just I don't know how to answer. general supernatural gaming. question. What would you, who would you rather meet, an alien or a ghost? And what would you say to them if were you to meet an alien or a ghost. <laughs> All right. I would rather meet an alien. Okay. So what would you, what kind of things would you talk about? So here's why I'd want to meet. Hey, wait, what's your problem with ghosts? 
ghosts are stupid. Okay, you have nothing to say to a ghost. No. Like, go, like, you're a freaking ghost. Go do something better than talk to me. You're a ghost. Well, they're going to rattle their chains and bother you if you say but that. Don't, shouldn't they be off doing things with other ghosts? Maybe they have some uncompleted mission or something. Didn't ghosts get bought out by vampires? <laughs> Why are yet. we talking about ghosts or old news? Okay. All right. All right. So aliens. So what would you say to the aliens? And the other thing I would say to the ghosts, by the way, is why did you create such a crappy board game? For ghost stories. <laughs> I mean, come on, ghosts. Cooperative game? You're ghosts. All right. Anyways, this is what I would, this is what I would say to an alien. My assumption here is that the alien is more intelligent. Well, of course they right? are. Because aliens, a given. by default, are just supernaturally well, plus intelligent. look around us so this is what i would ask the alien i would say mr alien what is the most efficient way to teach board games to my friends <laughs> no matter what the game is what methodology could i use to to engross them in my teaching so that they not only will listen to the teaching they'll look forward to the teaching almost more then they would look forward to playing the game. Wouldn't wouldn't they answer that question with know your material really well and no. spit it out quickly? No, they would they would have some supernatural method of doing it. Some something that we haven't figured out, like why people see a dress in black and blue and gold and white at the same time. It's something like that. They're gonna unlock something in my brain that they've discovered that we we have yet to discover. The aliens see blue and black in that dress, by the way. Well, okay. Why why is that? Because that's what the real colors are. But they might have a different spectrum of colors in their eyes. No, they, they, they're all about our spectrum. Haven't you heard Brother Cabal's rant about how he couldn't see the supernova in Battlestar Galactica because he had to look through the gelatinous orbs in his head? That's what <laughs> no. it feels like to be an alien. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, so your answer is alien, and you want to know how you can better teach games, to summarize. Yeah. And I think maybe the other thing I would ask him is, how do you... How do you convince people that you're not a werewolf? Because I don't know how to do that. You're pretty good at doing that. No, I'm not. Oh, when you are the werewolf. Yeah. How do you convince people that you're not a werewolf? When you are. Correct. Okay. So basically how to lie. Yeah. You don't need an alien for that. Just ask Sarah. (laughs) Maybe Sarah's an alien. That's possible. She knows how to play that game. Okay. Well, Ryan, you've you've said it all. So those are your five questions, and we... Very satisfying answers, and um, most surprising one was probably number four with the the Star Wars game, bringing that to an island. I wouldn't have predicted that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that was even in your top ten, was it? No. Well, so. it came out after we did that, but even if even if I did it now, it wouldn't be. But because of the fact that it has, you can replay it, and it's like a new experience each time. Yeah, it's good. You know, because I like to do new things. I don't like to play the same game over and over. You would have to on an island, though. Not if I had a playing deck of playing cards and Imperial Assault. Oh, and by the way, you didn't. I forgot to follow up with when I would hit Dave on the head with a coconut. Okay, when would As you? soon as we got off the freaking plane. <laughs> There's 15 people on the island. Okay, I thought it was just me and Dave. You know, I would maybe tolerate him for a few days, but there's 15 people there. I mean, you, you can get better than Dave. Dave okay. Dave's going down KO with a coconut. We've got to bring Dave on the show. <laughs> so he gets so he off the plane. <laughs> Poor Dave. Okay, uh, and that would that's a wrap on <laughs> Grill Ryan. All right. I think it's uh, time to move on to a listener question. And what listener do we have this week, this month? <laughs> this episode, we have listener Tim Antonisi. Tim, if you don't know, is the guy whose house we go to for game night on Wednesdays. Thanks for sending us a question, Tim. 
Chris, why don't you read this question? His question goes to the addictedness of buying games. His question is, do you think gamers are kind of addictive? Uh, I'll read the whole question because it's, it's a few sentences here. Uh, he mentions magic players, Magic the Gathering, the card game. Magic players being primary addicts. Breaking open that pack of cards brings you back to childhood, opening presents. What other things are addictive to you regarding games? Ryan has a big game purchasing addiction. Chris, what is your biggest addiction? There's a lot of questions in there. So do you think gamers are addictive in general, just as kind of a general rule? Like the nature of a gamer is an addictive personality, I yeah, think. is what I think that's his question. I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think it's true in your case. Where you're, you're not as much of an addict as you are obsessive. So you'll immerse yourself in whatever your thing is. Thing I'm using air quotes. <laughs> whatever your thing is at that time, you'll immerse yourself completely in it. Because we went through this with uh, D&D and, and, and other games. So I think, I think you can obsess over it, but I don't know that there are addicts necessarily. Well, I have a counter to this. I think that in general... Gamers are addicts, and here's why I think okay. that. If gamers weren't addicts, there would be no game stores in existence today. And here, and So you're defining addict as people purchasing the product. Right. They're addicted to, and I'm specifically talking, and Tim mentioned in his question about CCG players, because pretty much every game store in existence, with, the, with maybe the exception of like board game cafes, but just straight up game stores are in existence because of Magic the Gathering. So yeah. that means the same people are going in there week by week, buying cards, buying cards, doing drafts, whatever, trying to win cards. What are they doing in the draft? They're trying to win more cards. So they're addicted, and their addiction is what's funding those stores and keeping them in business. Do you think those stores sell, primarily sell Magic cards, or do they sell board games? Magic cards. So it's, it's all about the Magic By cards. a mile, yeah. In, in fact... You can ask any game store owner, and they'll tell you the same thing. They they make almost no profit on board games. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. I used to have. Uh, I don't say an addiction to Magic cards, but I I enjoyed buying them, and um, I probably bought more than I needed to. Right? Do you ever sniff when you open a card? Of oh, you have pack to. Of cards, you open a pack it? of cards. That new card smell. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do that with board games too. Yeah, I've seen that. It's 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 a little demented, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what was so, the next part of this? Question? The next part of his question is, um, what other things are addictive are, are addictive to you for games? Like regarding games, do you have any other? So he mentions your purchasing addiction, which is a serious addiction that you have, by the way. What other things do you have? And then he has he has he asked me what my biggest addiction was. But regarding okay. gaming, what is your what else? So i I think I'm addicted to. That moment in a game when the game clicks. I think I've mentioned this on the show before. Mm-hmm. When you're learning a new game, this is part of the reason I like playing new games. A yeah, lot. and I'd be interested to know before you explain if any listeners agree with this, uh, send us an email. I, I'd, I'd like to. <laughs> or a voice I've heard Ryan explain this before, and it's kind of interesting. I didn't really get it, but yeah. it's it's interesting though, and I, I'm I'm curious to know if other people have have this same. Uh, experience. Okay, so I, I've I've termed this experience clickphoria. Clickphoria is that moment when you're learning it. You're kind of halfway through a new game you just learned, and suddenly everything makes sense. You're no longer struggling with the rules, and you're getting into the strategy. That moment for me is like a is an addictive rush 
that I that I really love. And and I think just the fact that I know once I've learned the rules of a game and I can think back on the game and know the rules, even that is addictive to me. Looking at my shelf and looking at all the games in there and saying, yep, know how to play that, know how to play that, know how to play that. That, for whatever reason, just knowing all those different games is addictive. So when you, when you gaze at your games from your recliner and you're just looking and basking in the glow that they give off, do you look at the individual games and remember the click for you moment in each game? Like, can you, is that something you recall or it's sadly forgotten? It's forgotten. That's too bad. I don't remember that moment, but I do, well, I do look at the games and think, oh, I'd like to try this strategy in that game. Oh, man, I want to play that again. Well, that has nothing to do with click for you. No, it's not related to click for you. So, click for you, in answer to Tim's question, would go to the addictive quality for you. In other words, that's the draw yeah. that, that, that drives you to buy 5,000 games every year. It's like the carrot dangling, that, that, that element of click for you that may show up when you open the game and you start sniffing it for the first time, as you said. It's all about going toward that moment where you, no. it all comes together. But, but the other things, that's not the only thing. The, the smell, the new game smell is addictive. Punching out the cardboard, <laughs> organizing it into Plano boxes, all those things. It's all part of it. So the organizing is addictive? Oh, yeah. It's a disorganized mess. Yeah, but that seems like work. No, 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 no. No, work is looking at a pile of chits that aren't organized. That's work. Just sitting there looking at them is work. It, it stresses me out more than any, wow. any other work I can so do. So this is another OCD thing. So you enjoy organizing games. Yes. I will go downstairs. I'll, I'll allocate three hours. I'll turn on Star Trek, the first you know original series. Put it on in the background, and I will open games and organize them, and I love it. Wow. Yep. Speaking of Star Trek, did you hear um, Marina Sirtis from The Next Generation is going to be at Gen Con? Uh, Counselor Troy. Don't. No. I've never seen The Next Generation. You never Gen. saw The Next Generation? I just started watching the original because I wanted to watch that before The Next Generation. Well, you're going to have to turn in your nerd card. Yeah, I know. I didn't even know who Will Wheaton was, and then I recognized him from Stand By Me. Oh, my gosh. What's okay. <laughs> <All laughs> right. he from? from star trek okay well moving on let's move on to the last part of tim's question he asked me what my biggest addiction was it's an interesting question because i don't really have the gaming addiction i did have a magic addiction for a while but i don't think that really counts because i was able to limit myself with what i bought i do in thinking about this question i do have one that's kind of interesting but it's a little off topic and that is i have this thing where i like to bet on things Okay. It's not like a gambling addiction where I'm going to Vegas and throwing my money away necessarily, although that's not that bad of an idea either. <laughs> it's just the idea of making things interesting. You know, for example, I'll be watching uh, a TV with my son and we'll pick over under on when a character is going to die. Like how many more minutes until this character is going to die? And we'll like try to make it interesting with, you know, we're going to bet this or that. And I'm constantly doing that. You know, betting on on sports and stuff, that's something a lot of people do. But uh, one interesting bet I made was when I was in Ohio with um, visiting my family there, uh, my friend, a friend of mine was there, Eddie, and um, he, he's a little bit like me with betting. We're, we're dangerous when we're together because we'll just start <laughs> betting on stuff. And we were tailgating before this college football game. We were in the parking lot, and it, the weather was really nice. It was like 70 degrees and sunny. And... Um, 
one of my other hobbies is I'm into weather. I'm a severe weather spotter, and so I know a little bit about uh, weather tracking. And I noticed that it was going to storm. There was a storm moving in, and it didn't seem like it because it was nice out. And so I, I said to Ed, I said, you know, I'll bet you that it's going to rain. And he said, it's not going to rain. It's it's beautiful out. And I said, I'll bet you by five o'clock, which was like an an hour from from then, we're we're going to have to take cover, and it, it will rain. And he, and then I said, in fairness, I'm going to show you the Doppler radar. I showed him on my phone. I showed him that there was a storm coming. And he was like, well, I don't want to make the bet. And I said, all right, I don't like that we're not making a bet. <laughs> I'll give you $1,000 if it doesn't rain. And you only have to give me $1 if it rains. So I basically bet him $1,000 on the weather oh just God. because I was not bored. I was, I was kind of bored, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And and so we made the bet, even even though he saw the radar, he still made the bet because you have to take a thousand to one bet, no matter what the bet is. And um, it did rain, thank God. I started <laughs> worrying after a while because <laughs> I didn't want to owe him a thousand dollars. But that's what I do. I like to bet on things. Didn't you make a thousand dollar bet, or you tried to make a thousand dollar bet once in like Werewolf Inquisition? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was with the mod. Um, no, no. What was the bet? I can't remember. It was who with it the was. mod. It was with the mod. Yeah, I remember it was with the mod. I wanted to bet him a thousand dollars that I I figured out who the werewolves were because in the previous two or three games I figured out who the werewolves were really fast for yeah. whatever reason, and in this game I had a really strong suspicion and I bet a mod a thousand dollars that I could do it, and he didn't take the bet and I was wrong. Oh <laughs> man! That game. Oh man! But that's that's a problem I have with the, it. Goes to kind of there's a there's a theory. I talk about this in my book a little bit about people with ADHD see things in a world of gray sometimes. It's like not all gray, but it's more gray than a regular person. And that's why we're always bouncing and hyperactive and getting into trouble because we, we're constantly making things interesting to keep our attention on it. And sometimes things just aren't interesting to me they w- the way they would be to a regular person. And so I spice it up that way. Gotcha. So in answer to Tim's question, I like to bet on stuff. Okay. All right. Thanks for the question, Tim. If anyone has any questions to ask us, please email them in or send us a voicemail. Email is outofgamepodcast at gmail.com or voicemail is 40-O-O-G-O-O-G-80. It's time for a new segment. And what is the name of the segment? Before I give you the name, I'm going to give a little, a little background. When we first started this podcast, I remember one of the first pieces of feedback we got was from Bonnie, where she said, you know, the most important thing for you guys is to always be yourself. Do you remember that? I do. It's good advice. And for the past 10 episodes or so, nine episodes, we've been fighting the urge to talk about werewolf. We've been fighting it, you know, but we naturally want to talk about it. We do. So I've just decided to stop fighting it, and let's just create a segment. We're going to call this segment Tame the Werewolf. The werewolf. And what, what's the what's the the theme of this segment? So what we're going to do in this segment is we're just going to kind of get it out of our system. We're going to pick a game or a topic related to werewolf or trader games, and we're just going to talk about it for five minutes. It's not going to be long, but we just need to get it out of the out of our out of our systems. Okay. So that's what this segment's about. And the game that I chose to discuss for this first episode of tame the werewolf segment of tame the werewolf is bang the dice game bang so bang there's a card game bang right right and then bang the dice game is a little different right so we played this uh last game night multiple times actually which was surprising uh 
And I just wanted to talk about it a little bit because, you know, let me just give you my opinion of this game and then you can just tell me yours. I used to like this game the first few times I played it. And then I realized something this last Wednesday, which is this game is extremely punishing to people who are bad liars. Bang the dice game is? Yes. Why do you say that? I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay, I here's why. why I say that. So the bad liars are going to get shot first. And what's the thing about this game is you get uh, you get right. eliminated from the game. So two games in a <laughs> row, right. two games in a row, I was eliminated first. And the games, I mean, they were still shorter games, but they're like 15 minutes a piece. So I was literally sitting there for a half hour doing nothing. And I remember there was some some point in the game where someone like asked me a rules question, and I just threw the rule book at them. <laughs> I was so fed up with banging the dice game. So everyone says this game is great. It's a replacement for bang because it's shorter or whatever. And I guess I agree because bang itself is way worse than this for being eliminated. But it still has player elimination. And if you're one of the first ones out, you're going to be sitting there for a long time. Yeah, and for anybody who doesn't know, Ryan is... A horrible liar. Yeah. So if he's ever in a villain situation, it's going to be a problem for him because they're going to figure it out. In both of those games, I remember I was playing in those games too. Um, it was pretty obvious that you, yeah, yeah, you needed to be taken out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so yeah, they went after you, and um, and you had to just sit there. Any, it's not really just that it's punishing to bad liars. That's the problem though, because anybody who gets eliminated early. He's right. going to have to sit there, and that's always bad. Right. True. It's just that the person, the people who are bad liars are, tend to be out early. They'll be out early in probably every game. There should be a mechanic to allow people who are out to somehow participate in some way. Yeah. To keep you engaged. And I think we were letting the people who are out continue talking and helping with the strategy, mm-hmm. uh, which I actually don't think you should do in a game like that. Like in, in Werewolf, you're not allowed to talk once you're eliminated. And we were letting people do that, which I actually found annoying. I was watching other people do that, and I wasn't saying a word when I was sitting there. I don't think it's harmful in Bang, though. In Werewolf, you the problem is that you see who the werewolves are at night, and so you, you shouldn't be able to. And plus, you might have information. True. Um, in Bang, you really don't know anything. Yeah, but if the person is going to make a stupid decision, like let's say there's like three people left. It's the sheriff, the renegade, and an outlaw or okay. whatever. And someone's about to do something stupid. Yeah, you, I see what you're saying. You know, it's you like let it, you the bail them out, off. and then it, it ruins it. Yeah. So I don't know. But what were your what was your opinion? Well, of the game? Bang, I I don't like the card game. I I remember playing it, and I I didn't like it. I like the dice game a little better, but uh, the biggest problem I had with the dice game, and you didn't bring this up, and I, I probably the reason you didn't bring it up is because you happen to like dice games in general. I don't like dice games. I mean, I'll play them, and they're okay. I won't avoid dice games, but uh, the worst parts of dice games came out in this, and that is he who rolled, he or she who rolled the best won, and that happened in every game we played. Yeah. You know, the, your ability to roll is essentially random, unless you're Ryan, in which case you can never roll properly. Right. But, you know, if you, if you roll well, you're going to, strategy doesn't matter as much as the dice that come up. And it, uh, it's like I use the comparison. It's like playing a game of war with cards. It's completely random uh, who wins that game. And there's a factor in some of these dice games of the how random is the game. And I, I found Bang the Dice game to be a little too random. Okay. 
Yeah, you know, I, I do feel some of that as well. Some of the storyline was interesting, though, just to see the game evolve. Who's the deputy? Who's going to be the outlaw? And trying to figure out the identities while people are still lying. And then finding out who the identities were and then kind of ro- replaying it back in your head to see how the evolution of the the strategy unfolded for each of them. Like when Imad and Sarah were playing uh, to the people that were sitting in between Ryan and I, um, they I had them both pegged completely wrong from the beginning. And sometimes that's, in identity games, I find that that, that part's fun, just the trying to unmask and seeing how right and wrong you were. Yeah. Which is actually going to lead to our next segment. That's true. But in general, bang the dice game, way too random for me. Okay. There is some, one, there's one saving grace for Bang the Dice game to me, which is that each character had a special ability, which I thought That's was true. neat. And the Renegade thing is neat. So the Renegade only wins if he's the last man standing. But if the sheriff, if the sheriff is eliminated, the outlaws immediately win. So the Renegade is kind of on the team of the sheriff until all the outlaws are dead. And I thought that was an interesting dynamic. That's a good one. The thing that I like about the, uh, the special ability well, the thing I don't like about it is in some of the other games we played, you you start with like three of those and then you pick one. Uh-huh. Or you start with four and pick two or whatever. They should let you do that. We could do that. Yeah, I never thought of that, room. but there's yeah. enough cards that you could do that. Yeah, because could. there are some really lame ones in there. Yeah. So anyway, bang the dice game. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if you're bored and you have, you're just looking to spot fill 15 minutes, it's not bad, but I wouldn't spend a whole night playing it. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't play with eight people. I think that might have been our problem. I would play this game with four or five people. I think it would be a lot better. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Because, because uh, although you're, then it's a longer game with Right, that's the whole problem. That's it's, true. It, it just makes the game longer. The problem, the reason that I, I would make, maybe make an exception is that there's not many games that fit eight people. Right. And so, but in this space, there are. There's the resistance. There's all, basically every other true. game we play all fit eight people. So if I had a choice, that's true. I would choose one of them. But Nathan will play this game. So that's one reason we might still play it. But, anyways, bang the dice game. I would say try it before you buy it. It would be my suggestion. Yeah. It's only 12 bucks, but try it. All right. It's time to move on to table talk. Table talk. So this episode, Table Talk, we're, we're kicking off the tabletop, Table Talk thing with something that we've coined the Infectious Nerd Pack Theory. We might need to rename that. I like this name. Well, the problem with the name is it's hard to remember what it means. <laughs> That's what's great about the okay. name. Infectious Nerd Pack Theory. Yeah. So what exactly does that mean? You know, honestly, Chris, this is kind of your theory. Yeah. So I, I kind of want you to explain... I'll do my best. Explain to me. Let, let me let me give a summary of what I think this is, and then I'm going to let Chris explain his perspective on it. So, the infectious nerd pack theory. What that means is when you're when you're surrounded by a pack of nerds, <laughs> you forget how to function as a normal human being, which happens every game night. Every game night, you know, we're we're admitting that we're nerds. And we surround ourselves with other nerds, geeks, you could call them, but they're nerds. You know, we're all nerds. And when you're surrounded by other nerds, you, you just forget what it's like to be normal. Normal social graces. Yes. 
And one of the things that you might forget to do is have manners. Doing things like apologizing when you do something wrong. Or being a graceful winner. Or some other things that maybe Chris will talk about. Okay. But So, Chris, <laughs> the infectious nerd pack theory, we're specifically talking about one element of this theory. And why don't you go ahead and explain... Your theory on okay. this. Okay, so the theory goes like this, and not everybody's going to agree with this. That's why it's called theory, because we're just kind of floating it out there. So this dynamic is interesting. It only happens in identity games, by the way. It doesn't happen in all board games. Uh, there's a situation that comes along where, like we just mentioned, bang the dice game. You're trying to determine somebody's identity. Are they on the home team, or are they a spy, trader? Cylon, werewolf, whatever. If if they are an enemy, then you tend to go after them kind of like a pack of wolves. You know, if you can convince everybody else, if I can convince everybody that Ryan is the traitor, we're gonna we're gonna go after him and either eliminate him from the game or else um, make it so that he can't win, uh, hoping that he is the 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 actual bad guy. But what inevitably happens is you can be wrong about that. I'm wrong a lot about that. Um, but sometimes I I have strong opinions on if so-and-so is a traitor versus a good guy. And, you know, in social games, and these identity games, you debate this a lot. Where this theory comes into play, and this goes to the social graces aspect, is if you're wrong and you eliminate somebody who is a teammate of yours, you just didn't know it because it's secret identity, but in, if, let's say Ryan and I are on the same side, we're both good guys, and person A is the, is the villain, but we don't know that, and I peg Ryan as the villain, I go after him and take him out of the game, I feel like I owe him an apology after the game. Okay. Not, not like a overly dramatic, sincere, hey, man, look, I, I'm, I'm really sorry about what happened, but just a, you know what, I got that wrong, sorry. So are you saying you're, you're immune to the infectious nerd pack? No, I'm victim just like everybody else. Okay. But, but what I have, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, is, is an interesting perspective. Okay. So sometimes I'll notice things. And I happen to notice that this, this pattern, there's a pattern of being on the, me being on the wrong side of it and feeling, feeling as if I deserved an apology from the guy who just eliminated me. Okay. Because we were buddies. We were actually on the same team, and they, he took me out. Okay. And, and I understand why he did it. He, it was part of the game, and he just happened to make a mistake. So I get that. But once everything is revealed, and you know now, it's time to kind of do a reconciliation at that point. Okay. So here's where I need to play devil's advocate a bit. Because I don't know that I necessarily agree with this theory. Right, and that's why it's a theory. When it comes to gaming. And here's why, and, and I, I guess I have some questions. So if you're, let's, you're wronged in a game and you're out, and you're, because of that, you're, you lost, right? Right. Basically. So I feel like there's a fine line between being, feeling you deserve an apology and being a sore loser. So... Explain to me where the balance is. Okay. That's a really good question. And honestly, what I'm saying dispels sore losers. It eliminates sore losers. There is no sore losers if they, if you kind of listen to the infectious nerd pack theory and apply it. Okay. And I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain why. 
So let's use a real example. Let's okay. say Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Let's say that you feel somebody is a Cylon, so you throw them in the brig. Or you make it so they can't get out of the brig. And they're, they're basically, they can't play the game. Uh-huh. All right? But you later find out that you were wrong about that. And you lost the game because you mistakenly put them in the brig. Right. Of course, the mistake is understandable because it is part of the game. You're not supposed to know who people are. And the idea of being wrong is, is part of how the game works. But at the end, you know now. Right. So now you realize not only did you backstab your teammate, but you lost the game because of that decision. Okay. I think you got to step up and be a be a big boy and say look uh, so and so uh you know i got that wrong and guys just so you know looking around the table uh we lost that game because i went after tim and we lost because i i put the wrong guy in the brig okay and tim you know for what it's worth sorry okay that's what i think but but specifically to your answer about being the sore loser if the person, let's say we'll use Tim as an example again, because I've done this to him multiple times, where I've got, for whatever reason, he throws me off with the way he's acting, and I think he's the traitor, and I go after him, and he's, he ends up being not, he's not, and then I will always apologize to him. Okay. And the reason I think that it eliminates the sore loser factor is if, t- think about it from Tim's point of view. He's trying to play the game. He gets eliminated, or basically arm wrestled to the corner because people think he's the, the traitor. He's going to complain. He didn't get to play the game. Like you with Bang. You didn't really get to play. You were sitting out. I'm not saying that you were a sore loser by saying that you were bored. I mean, anybody would, would not have liked that. But if you got the apology afterward, I mean, in that situation, you deserved it because you were the, the rebel. But in, in the Tim case, he would probably be upset that he was unfairly taken out. But if he gets the apology, it sort of dispels the sore loserness. So now he the the whining will go down because you're getting the apology and everything kind of adjusts again. But I guess my point is you shouldn't be whining. If, well, but if you're taken out of the game, right. if you're taken out, you don't get to play. You basically, everybody's playing the game except you. Right. And the reason you're not playing is because somebody made a mistake. Right. And so you don't, you don't get to play. Right. You get to watch. Right. And it's not fair to you because you're part of the good guys. Okay. And so you were you were mistakenly suppressed or you know. <laughs> okay. And and so you're gonna be upset, I would think, because you didn't get to play the game. And so yeah, I think if somebody said to you, Hey Ryan, you know, I got that wrong. Sorry, sorry about that. You know, you didn't get to play the game. But I guess I, I'm in an ideal world, no matter what the, the circumstances of losing a game you should not be upset at other people for it. Yeah, but that's not living in the real world. Well, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen this where, especially in games like The Resistance. Right. Like the one game, remember the game Dave was paired up with you? So for people who don't know, one, one of the games we played of The Resistance, Ryan decided <laughs> not he, he decided not to look at his identity. Right, because I knew that I was such a bad liar that I would just blow it. So I just didn't look at my card. He didn't look at his card, and he was the spy. Yeah. He and Dave were the spies. We had maybe six people playing or so. And so spies reveal yourself. Dave looks up. There's no other spy. So he knows that you're the other spy. Right. Long story short, he was furious yep. by the end of that. So a, a good thing that you might have done is, you know, in the beginning of the game when you did it, it was kind of a fun experiment. And I actually understand why you did it. Yeah. 
But the way it turned out was a little ugly for him. He 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 was very upset. He was he was upset with me too for a different reason. But if you went over to him and said, you know what, in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that. Sorry about that. I don't. I, if- I think I think he w- he would have not been as upset. I don't remember if I did that or not. I might have apologized. You might have, but I'm just saying if you the apology doesn't ever hurt. Like there's no. There's no benefit to not apologizing. Well, it's a pride thing. So it's like you're you're lost, and now you have to eat crow and and take all the blame for it. Yeah, but I don't think that's a bad thing because when you lose, especially in an identity game, when I lose an identity, which is a lot, you know, you you want to take something away from a loss. You know, what what can I do differently? You know, why did I get it wrong with Tim? Why did I think that he was the spy? What did, what was it about his mannerisms? And so I try to build on that so the next time we play, maybe I'll know something different. And I think that's that's okay. It's okay to come out a little a little bigger for it. Okay, so I guess my my main question here is why not when the game ends, everyone just agrees to just let it go? Why is that not an option? Why? Why are we? Well, that's the default. Option. Why are we rehashing all the negative things that happen in the game? And because those are things. Because you have new information. Okay, that's why. So you have limited information in the beginning. By the time the game's over, you do a little meta gaming. You know, everybody's revealed by now, and you get a laugh over how things went and who did what wrong and right. And it's kind of um, I like to, the word reconciliation. It's kind of like your. You're reconciling who was right, who was wrong from an interesting metagaming standpoint. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always a good thing. I don't, I don't think you just say, all right, well, let's go on to the next game afterward without sort of rehashing, you know, what happened is kind of an interesting story. And, um, you know, going back to the, if you, if you got something wrong, you know, I, I personally have a hard time not apologizing when I get it wrong. I don't know if I'm crazy or, or what, but if I go after somebody and take them out and I'm wrong, they were actually on my team and we might have lost because I did that. I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I got that wrong. I have new information now. Okay. That's why. So the point of this theory, going back to the infectious nerd pack part of it, is the theory is that we're, we're in this bubble of nerds and that's the reason that the the apologizing and stuff isn't happening the normal social things that you would do like for example if i was at dinner with someone and i spilled wine on them deliberately even because because you thought that they they did something wrong okay even if i did it on accident no it has to be you're deliberately going after somebody in the game you're turning on them Okay, well, I have to give you another example that I think I've seen where I think I've seen this, but you're not maybe you're not remembering it. And it wasn't in a trader game. So I have to ask you if this falls into the theory or not. Okay. So we had a game of Kalis at Gen Con last year, and Dave was like way ahead of everyone. And there was a turn where it was my turn, and you were trying to convince oh, yeah, me. Yeah. I think it was me. You're trying to convince me to either go after Dave or Tim. One of them we thought was gonna win. It was Dave. And I didn't do it because I had my own goals I was trying to achieve. And then because of that, because if I would have done what you said, you would have been able to beat Dave. But because I didn't do what you said. Well, also Dave was in the lead. Right. Dave was in the lead. You were trying to get me to do something to hurt Dave, right. which would have benefited you and ultimately well, helped you win. It was a cutthroat. It was Kalos is a cutthroat game in a lot of ways because you can see who's in the lead. Every right. All the chips are on the table. You can see the victory points. You can see the resources. And if you want to spend 10 minutes concentrating, you can almost see who's going to win yeah. because there are no hidden right. cards or anything. And so it 
I knew that if you didn't go after Dave, he was going to win. And you were sort of in a kingmaker role, but I don't think you knew that. All right. But I don't think I should pressure you to be a kingmaker for me. That's not right. But I could pressure you to be in a, in a cutthroat mode to help go after the leader. Right. So after that game, you, you, you brought it up a lot, how if I would have just done what you said, you would have won. So I'm wondering if you felt I owed you an apology no, 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 in that no. game. No, absolutely that- not. No, no, no way did you owe me an apology for that. Okay, you, so- you, the one thing that, the only thing I, I was saying, I think, after the game that I probably was right about was that, that I that Dave was going to win if you didn't do that. Right. And and by not doing that, you helped Dave win. Right. But you don't owe me that. I mean, everybody's trying to win the game. You do whatever you want on your turn. Right. And it's not like the identity games where there's information you don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's completely different. Okay. I, I I was putting them in the same category. Anyways, okay. Yeah, so- I think metagaming in general I enjoy. I don't know if I enjoy it more than you. But I enjoy kind of rehashing what was interesting, like the interesting turning points. And, you know, uh, sometimes the storylines are, are uh, they're compelling enough to, like, discuss because you can, like, look at us now on the podcast. We're still talking about that game. Yeah. But the other thing, too, with the apology, it's not always about apologizing. Okay. It's also about giving credit. So if you, if you come after, let's say that you come after me. And I'm, I'm the spy. So this is the opposite of the apology thing. You get it right, and nobody else sees what you see. For whatever reason, you're on to me. Or you take a chance on a hunch, and you come after me, and you label me as the spy, and um, the end result is you win, and I was the spy, and you won because of what you did. I think you deserve a little credit for that. Okay. And I think the other uh, people on your team should, should give that to you. I think that should be noticed in some way because they won the game, but they won it because you took a risk. Okay. So back to the Dave example, I remember that he was, when, when that game was over, he was so mad at me that uh, he, he basically said, like, I, I think he swore at me and then oh, was, sure. was basically like, you did nothing in that game. I just won that all. Like, he felt like he deserved. He didn't Dave, win Dave, that game. I thought he, he did. No, he didn't. Oh, I no, thought that, he That's why he was so upset. He was put in a bad position. I figured out he was the spy. Okay. And I was taunting him the whole time. And he was already angry that he was a solo spy. And me taunting him all game and colorizing the gray thing. Yeah. So he, he got really upset at me. And he said he almost did what you did in the Battlestar game. Oh. He almost like lit me up in front of everybody because I, I was... I was like really smug about the fact that he was the spy. And he knew he was going to lose because he didn't have help. And he didn't lose. And, and he's, he's still upset about that game oh my gosh. to this day. Maybe I should apologize to him. All right. So I have one last question about this. And I think this is a philosophical question in some ways. Okay. And let me just give an example of where this comes out. Something that we talk about a lot we tend to is the game survivor. There's always this question on there, which is the things that happen in the game, should they bleed into real life or that should they stay within the confines of that game? That's, that is a, that is a deep philosophical question because the, the answer on paper, like the right answer is no. I mean, nobody listening would even would say, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, game results should absolutely bleed into real life. People typically won't say that. They'll say, oh, no, it's a game. You should do your best to segregate it. But that's not always realistic because uh, it depends on what you do 
And this this is exactly the survivor uh, thing where there's always a line that shouldn't be crossed in gaming. And when you cross it, and we ran across this at Gen Con when we were playing, what's that card game that wasn't that good that everybody liked? Coup. Coup, yeah, yeah. So we were playing a game of Coup, and we met a couple guys there, and they joined in. They kind of taught us how to play the game, and we were, we were all playing a game. And you can, you can make deals in that game. You can make alliances. Just like in any game, you can make alliances. Um, you know, like Cyclades, we've done this, where you, you agree not to attack each other for two turns or something. If you make an agreement like that, where you have a deal with somebody, yeah, and it's a very specific deal, and they blatantly... You do the you you honor it, but then they don't honor it. Right, that can't help but bleed into real life because there's there's it's not a game mechanic. I mean, that's you know you're making a deal with somebody, and it's going to benefit both of you if you follow through on it. Right. Of course, there's no rule to say you can't do that. You absolutely can do that. So it's not against the rules, but it's what happens the next time you play the game. So like like for me, I literally. You know, I've done shady things in games before, but I would never do that. I would never make a deal like, I won't attack you if you don't attack me for like the next two turns. We'll, we'll just have a, a truce. And then and then backstab you because you weakened your forces on my border. I just, I, I don't have it in me to do that. Yeah. The problem with doing that is the next time you play the game, nobody will make a deal with you. Right. And, and you will make a deal with me more so than them because I, I wouldn't do that. And so... I do think there's a line there that you shouldn't cross because when you do, that will bleed into real life. But other than that, like the things we're talking about with, with Dave and the stories of resistance and, and, and some of these identity games, no, it, it, sh- it, should, it should stay in the game. Okay, so I want to go back to this bleeding into real life thing. So let's say you and I are in a game of, uh, of Cyclades. I don't know what that other game Cyclades. was you were talking about. And, and I made a deal with you, and I said I wouldn't attack you. So you, you weaken your border, and then I, I backstab you and attack you. And then... A week later, let's say we're standing at an airport and you need someone to watch your luggage and you have a diamond in there. Would you trust me to, to watch your luggage or would that experience from the game cause you not to no, trust me anymore? I would probably, it, it might affect me a little bit, but I know you so well, I would trust you to watch it. Well, it's, I know it's about me, but like, if this it's was It's more just, about the person than about what they did in the game to watching a diamond. Well, I guess that's what I'm getting at though is... Should it bleed? Should it bleed out or not? Well, like that guy, the guy who did that in Coup, I wouldn't let him watch my diamond. Let, let's say it was a Ross. A Ross is someone that you don't know very well, but you know him from gaming. Okay, and let's say a Ross backstabbed you in a, in a game, and then later you need someone to watch your diamond for you. I trust a Ross. I would let him watch. You my would diamond. let him do yeah. it. Okay. And I, do, I doubt he would cross that line. But you never know. You never know. He could, but. A better example, well, I don't know if there's a better, it's a different example, is same game, Cyclades. I've had it where somebody went after me in the game. We didn't have any deal, but he just, for whatever reason, he chose to go after me. So what I did that game, I just have kind of a counterpuncher mentality. I made it my mission to make sure he didn't win. Yeah. And I, I didn't really care about winning as much as making sure that I could just build up my forces to prevent him from winning. <laughs> okay. And that's very entertaining to me as, yeah. as like a revenge thing because he happened to go after me. 
So I think that's okay. I mean, I'm not. That's not bleeding into real life, and I'm not angry during the game. I'm just. It's all in game. Yeah, that's all in game. But I, I wouldn't. Like, but then later, would you would you like egg his house? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I, you got to keep it in game. Okay. And but, and even the examples of the extreme backstab, those would pretty much be kept in game. But the next time you play that same game with them or any game, you're not going to trust them in a game situation where there there's a truce on the line. Okay. So. Bringing this back then to the original okay. topic, so you're saying all these things should stay in game. So how is yeah. the, how is this theory different? The theory, the reason it's different is you have new information. It's all about the new information. You have information now that you didn't have before, and it's it's huge. It's identity. Okay, it's not just a little bit of information. It's it's like the reveal. You're revealing who is who. And it needs to be kind of reconciled. Oh man, I went after so and so, and they were. You know, they were, they were one of us. They were one of the good guys. You know, sorry for going after you. I didn't realize that. And likewise, oh, yeah, you were the spy. I was right. I was right to go after you when I had just a just a sliver of, of info and a hunch. I went after you and we won. And so maybe maybe I deserve a little credit for for doing that because it determined the outcome of the game. Right. So I think that, that's just like simple reconciliation of new information that you have. Okay, but if if the person doesn't apologize, would a grudge be held or would it be dropped? It would be dropped. I mean, okay. I like to do it. I think it's, it should be voluntary. You you decide if you want to apologize or not. I'm for me, I don't know. I like to do it because I just feel bad. I literally feel bad okay. because like the one game, there, there's been several times I've gone after Tim. One was I thought he was a Cylon and he wasn't, and I we vote. I started a vote. This is when we were texting. Remember. <laughs> We were because t- we didn't want him to know that we were onto him. Right, you remember that we yeah. were convinced that he was a Cylon, right? And he wasn't. And we threw him in the brig. We had a vote to throw him in the. You know brig. what happens? He went up to the, go to the bathroom, and then we all talked about real quick about how we thought he was a Cylon. Yes, and it was horrible. What we did was wrong. <laughs> you know, it was all within the game, but in hindsight, it's all about hindsight. In hindsight, we we got it wrong, and so I wanted to admit to him that we got it wrong. You know, hey man, sorry about that. I. I thought for sure you were a Cylon. I, I got it wrong. There's just nothing wrong with saying that, but it should be voluntary. For me, I like doing it. It makes me feel better that I'm, I'm kind of getting it off my chest that I feel bad. I screwed that one up. But you don't have to do it. Okay. Well, I'm curious what... Did you have anything else to add on the Well, on you were theory? about to go into a real-life example of like spilling wine on somebody. Like, oh, let's that's say, right. Let's say that somebody... You use the example of egging your house. Let's say that you were at a restaurant and you saw your neighbor there, and you were convinced that they did something to your house. Right. And so you you went and splashed wine on them. And then later you found out it was somebody else that did it. Don't you think you should apologize to them? <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, that, granted, spilling wine is worse than... Yeah, it's like a physical assault. Yeah, but... But it's the same idea. It's like you have new information all of a sudden. that, And you can't just ignore the fact that that you just did that and, right. and you were wrong. <laughs> uh, so my, my understand you, you, you don't agree with this theory. You think you should splash the wine and just forget about it. No, you know, I don't right? think those two things are the same. Cause I, cause of the fact that it's a game splashing wine on someone because of some real life thing that happened. That's like, that's like real life. Yeah. But in the game, you're, you have the potential to make somebody not be able to play the game though. Like, if, if we, when we threw Tim in the brig, what could he do? He, he was essentially sitting there suffering in his innocence. Like, he knew he was an innocent man who was, who was jailed improperly. It's like if, if somebody did that in real life, 
you, you at least have to apologize for jailing them. Granted, that's worse than in the game, but you, it's your game night. You're sitting there playing, and you don't get to play because somebody screwed up. Okay, so let's go back to the survivor. <clears throat> go back to the survivor again. Okay. So a lot of times this is, these, there's people in Survivor that they get voted out. So the scenario might be like, let's say you... Blind side, right? Like me, you, and Tim were on Survivor. And I thought Tim was going to vote me out. So I spearhead a vote to get Tim out. Do you think that at the end of Survivor, if I'm in the final two, that I owe Tim an apology? Because I always am annoyed with the people on Survivor that think that they're owed an apology. The people on the jury. Those people, are they come off as whiny... They come off as sore losers. You have a problem with apologizing. I have a problem with people who come off as sore losers. So I think, and where this, what, what bothers me. Well, there's me, a big difference between the, the Because sometimes they won't, and this is the other side of the coin you're explaining. The people who lost sometimes aren't willing to give credit where credit is due to the people who are in the finals. Mm-hmm. Because they're upset about what happened to them in the game. So it's kind of like the two things well, you're explaining coming in contrast. Do you remember contrast. last season of Survivor when Jacqueline, who's a friend of mine now, by the way, for some reason, <laughs> when she was she was being interviewed by the jury for the final vote, and it was Josh said to her, what is the best move? You know, Because I'm having a hard time understanding what moves you made in this game. What is the best move that you think you made in this game strategically? She looked him right in the eye and said, voting you out. Yeah, I spirited the vote to get you out. Yeah. So it was it was a non-apology. It's kind of what you're saying, giving the winner credit for spearheading something against them. And in the end, Josh gave her his vote to win, which is why she came as in as the runner-up that season. So I think in that show, they do they do respect good moves, even if it means you voted me out, but because you did it in a strategic way that I respect, I. Uh, props to right. you. So I do see that in Survivor. What I don't, what I, but what I also see is people who were voted out and are and are upset about it, and they just want an apology. Right. No, I, I'm with you on that. I think that that you get to a whining point there. There, there is a line though where you're in an alliance with somebody. You're friends. You become friends, right? Even though you're in a game, and they backstabbed you or blindsided you. And it's not about the fact as much that they got voted out is that you backstabbed them, okay. like on a personal level. And so that I kind of get. And I've seen them apologize for that, and I get that. But, but what you're saying is somebody like non in an alliance, not a friend or somebody in your final three, final four, final three, and you're, you're voting them out, I don't think you owe them an apology. That's, that's part of the game. And right. the big difference between that and the identities is you have all the information you need in Survivor. And in the identity games, all of a sudden you're gifted with new intel that you didn't have before. And you can't ignore that you have new information now, and what are you going to do with that? Okay. Like, like the same thing with the egging of the house. All of a sudden you find out it was the other neighbor who did it. You can't just pretend like you didn't Throw splash wine. wine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Even if it was something lighter than wine. Let's say that you just went and, and cussed them out. You went. You knocked on their door and say, "I don't really appreciate what you did," and then you and then you walked away. Something light like that. I still think you should apologize to them if you later find out it's your other neighbor who did it, mm-hmm. and you you got it wrong, and you didn't really hurt them or do anything harmful, but you were wrong, and you should go and say you're sorry for yelling at them. I see. Do you agree? 
I agree with the real life example. I, I, I don't I, think it's that much. I'm different. having a trouble. I'm having trouble getting over the game part. So, so I'm curious what our what our listeners think, because I don't think Chris and I can come to a resolution. Okay. But <laughs> I'm curious what you guys think. What do you think about this theory? If you do something in a game against someone, specifically an identity game, and you're wrong, do you owe them an apology? Or is it just part of the game and everyone should just well, let it go? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're simplifying <laughs> it a little bit. You and I would agree with the way you worded it. In an identity game, you go after somebody to the point that it really harms their ability. to. They, they can't play the game because they're brigged or whatever. Now, later on, after the game, you reveal identities. You realize you got it wrong and your whole team lost because you did that. And this guy, this poor guy, was he couldn't play because you mistakenly thought he was a Cylon. Shouldn't you maybe say, sorry, I got that wrong? So that's the question. In that scenario, this is what I want to know from the listeners. Should you apologize or not? I want to hear what the listeners have to say about that. Go out on our guild. I think that's the best place. And give us your opinion. In the scenario Chris just explained, do you owe that person an apology or not? so, So just... Okay, I don't want to add on to it. We'll just go with that. I, I don't think it should be a mandate that you apologize. I just feel I should. It's a social thing that tends to be ignored when you're in this setting. <laughs> okay. But I want to hear. So post your comments. And I really, I am really, I actually am very genuinely wondering what people will say. I think we'll get people on both ends. Yeah, probably. And it's not a black and white issue. Everybody's, everybody may have a different take. Well, I think that wraps up episode 12. So I lost all my outro notes, but you can go to our guild, uh, Guild 1990. You can find us at com. Look for the little Board Game Geek dude and click him. That'll bring you to the page to join our guild. We'll try to get more discussion going on out there. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. What's our Twitter feed? At OOG Podcast. As we mentioned last episode, you can go out to Facebook and look at our blank page. <laughs> you can email us at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 40OOG80. And we would love you to leave us a voicemail because we want to play your voicemails on the podcast. So go out and ask us a question or leave a comment. Whatever you want to do on the voicemail, you can record. I think you got two minutes. Just say whatever you want. And we'd really appreciate it. I think that's about it. Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night.